or the enemy wants to be like, oh, you know, Fusco, you got no business talking about what you're talking about. We know where you've been. But the thing is, is the nature of the gospel is that God does not want to hold our past against us. That's not God's heart. God's saying, look, your past is what it was, and I knew everything about it, and I crucified it on the cross with Jesus. We're always going to acknowledge the past, but we don't need to live there. Whether it comes from yourself or others, it can be hard to ignore the voices that remind you of the brokenness of your past. Voices that tell you that God can't use you because of what's happened. Today, Pastor Daniel says that that's not God's voice. The Lord knows your past, but he doesn't hold it against you. You'll discover that it's important to acknowledge your history, but to keep looking forward as you move on in the grace of God. Here's Pastor Daniel in Numbers chapter 33 as he begins his message, A Look Back. Numbers chapter 33, we continue our study here through the Bible in the book of Numbers. It's amazing to me that we are just a few chapters away from finishing the book of Numbers. So it's only taken us about three and a half years to make it through four books in our Bibles at this rate. I'll go home to be with the Lord probably in the book of Job. So Numbers 33 and 34 create this beautiful little section in the book of Numbers because in a sense, it's like a pause. You know, in the book of Psalms, you'll see this word Selah. Selah, there's a lot of different meanings for the word, but most people would say that one, it's a musical term because the Psalms are songs and the Selah was like a rest, but it was also almost a choreographed piece within the worship service where when it would say Selah, it means uprising and it would be almost like a pause so that everyone could worship based on the lyrics. And Numbers 33 and 34 form this beautiful little section. In 33, they're looking back at where they've been. And then chapter 34, they're looking forward to where they're going. Because remember, the children of Israel at this point, they're right on the precipice of the promised land. They're just on the east side of the Jordan River, and they're about ready to go into the promised land. You might be saying, well, so Fusco, wait, hold on. We have the whole book of Deuteronomy before they go in and they enter the promised land in the book of Joshua. But remember, Moses is about to die. He's going to go home to be with the Lord. And before he does, he's going to go back over everything that he taught the children of Israel from the time that they were at Sinai. Everything that God showed him, he's going to have an entire second telling of the law. And the entire book of Deuteronomy is that it's the retelling of the law. But in chapter 33, we're going to be looking back at the places that they've been. Now, I want to put this out there up front because I think it's so important by way of application is that it is important for you and I to be able to look back to where we've been. It's important for us to be able to retrace our steps in our hearts 
to be able to understand this is where I've been, this is where I've come from, this has been my journey. And I think what's important about that is we also don't want to sanitize the journey that we've been on. You're going to find that for the children of Israel, the good places and the bad places are recounted. They've been there. Now, the key is, is we don't want to live in the past. And I think for many of us, we get stuck at a moment of time. And that happens for lots of different reasons. I think sometimes we can look back on a past time and say, that was a really amazing time and a beautiful time. I always think about good old New Jersey's famous son, the boss, Bruce Springsteen. You know, the glory days. You guys remember that song? Great intro riff. Dun, 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 dun. It's a song, and for those of you who are young, you'll get hip to the boss one day. He's good, you know, Bruce Springsteen. But really, it's a song about those people who are so busy living. They were a big, like, high school baseball player. They're captain of the football team. And even though they're in their 50s, they're still, like, wearing their varsity jacket. Like, yeah, I'm, I was the man. I was state, you know, it's kind of sad, right? Because... So there's some people who, they look back on a time when everything was great, and they live back there, or for many of us, unfortunately, we've gotten hurt along the way, and a significant heart hurt kind of keeps us always in the past, you know? And so we want to be able to acknowledge the past. We want to be able to understand our journey, but we don't want to get stuck in the past. And there's a lot of people who want to stick us back in the past. I think about my own life. It'd be so easy for me never to be useful of God in the work of the ministry because of my history. I could very easily be like, man, I have no business serving the Lord. I've made too many mistakes. I've been down too many roads. And there are times when people or the enemy wants to be like, oh, you know, Fusco, you got no business talking about what you're talking about. We know where you've been. But the thing is, is the nature of the gospel is that God does not want to hold our past against us. That's not God's heart. God's saying, look, your past is what it was, and I knew everything about it, and I crucified it on the cross with Jesus. We're always going to acknowledge the past, but we don't need to live there. And I think for many of us right now, the biggest struggle you have is that you're so busy trying to walk forward, and you're staring back at the past. And you know what I call someone who's looking backward when they're trying to walk forward? Somebody who just tripped and fell. How many of you have kids who your kids do that kind of stuff? I love it. They're like, hey, dad, what are you doing? Boom, and they headbang something. Because you can't walk straight going forward when you're staring at the past. And for many of us, we have to trust our past into the hands of God. And we need to let him deal with our past. And he has at the cross. And we need to let him write our future. So the children of Israel are going to be looking back, and then next we're going to see them looking forward to where they're going to end up. So let's jump in today. Numbers chapter 33 in your Bibles. It says this, these are the journeys of the children of Israel who went out of the land of Egypt by their armies under the hand of Moses and Aaron. Now Moses wrote down the starting points of their journeys at the command of the Lord, and these are their journeys according to their starting points. They departed from Ramses in the first month, on the 15th day of the first month. On the day after the Passover, the children of Israel went out with boldness in the sight of the Egyptians, for the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn, whom the Lord had killed among them. Also on their gods, the Lord had executed judgment. So you notice it begins here in this chapter that 
These are the journeys of the children of Israel who went out of the land of Egypt by their armies under the hand of Moses and Aaron. And Moses wrote down the starting points of their journeys at the command of the Lord. So what this is saying is that this is their history. This is their look back. And that Moses was told to write this stuff down from the hand of the Lord. Now, let me ask you something. Have you ever written down your story? I think we all should write down our stories. Because the journey that you've taken to be where you are today is the testimony of what God has done in your life. And the thing about a story, your story, is that nobody can tell you that your story is not your story. It's your story. And each one of us has a journey. I think what happens for many of us is that we forget the fact that each one of us has got a journey, that there's good days and bad days. There's things that go well, and there are things that if we could do over again, we would. There's things like, man, I wish that didn't happen. But what you find if you are a follower of Jesus is that the fingerprints of God are all over our stories. God has this extraordinary way of bringing beauty out of ashes. God has this amazing way of restoring the years that the locusts have eaten. It's an amazing thing that God can do that. And I think what we forget in the times of struggle is that what God wants to do is he wants to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. So I want to encourage you, write down your story. Now, don't spend all of your time writing your story. Because what happens is sometimes we can be so busy writing our story that we're actually not living the story that God has given us today. So again, we don't want to get stuck in the past, but your story is a powerful testimony. It's an old saying that God takes our testings and he produces a testimony. And that's part of this story. And God told Moses to write this down. Now, it says, these are their journeys according to the starting point. So we're getting the places, really. It says that they departed from Ramses in verse 3. In the first month, on the 15th day of the first month, on the day after the Passover, the children of Israel went out with boldness in the sight of the Egyptians. The Egyptians were burying their firstborn, whom the Lord had killed among them. Also on their gods, the Lord had executed judgment. Now you see all of this in the book of Exodus. We see them leaving in Exodus chapter 12, verse 37. And you notice here that the children of Israel left on a very specific day, the 15th day of the first month of the first year. They go on out, and as they're leaving, the Egyptians are burying their firstborn because God judged their firstborn, and God was also executing judgment upon the gods of the Egyptians. Now, we talked about this a lot, about God's judgment on the firstborn, and people were like, oh, I can't believe God would do that, but if any Egyptian would have had the blood of the sacrificial lamb on their doorpost there wouldn't have been any death in their house. See, and this is an important concept because oftentimes people want to blame God for the bad things that happen to people when really God is saying, no, I don't want those things to happen, but you are not taking the steps that I have prescribed to have judgment averted. So how many times has someone said, I would never believe in a God who can send somebody to hell, right? I, mean, I used to say that stuff. I'm like, yeah, why would everyone believe in a God who could send someone to hell? Until I realized that God is saying, look, everyone's going to hell. I don't want them to. All you need to do is believe in my son, Jesus, and you will not go to hell. And then we're like, well, no, no, I don't want that, but I don't want a God who will send somebody to hell. 
It'd be like if you had a, a, a totally terminal illness, right? Like maybe there was like every time you ate a Dorito, you got terminally ill, right? That would be a horrible thing, right? Because we like our Doritos. Anyway, but imagine like if you ate a Dorito and it made you terminally ill and you went to the doctor, I ate one of those terminal Doritos. He said, listen, all you need to do is eat a Hershey bar and you'll be healed. <laughs> oh, you guys like this, how this is going. You see, I'm just pulling this stuff out of my brain. You can see where my brain is right now, Doritos and Hershey bars, right? So what happens is, and you get this Hershey bar, and you say, well, listen, I don't really believe that that Hershey bar would really heal me. You know, I did eat a terminal Dorito, and I mean, how could a Hershey bar do it? I mean, why can't it be a Caramello? Or what about Raisinets? Why does it have to be a Hershey bar? So there's a skeptical problem. Or some people are like, well, I ate the terminal Dorito, but I really don't believe I'm going to die. And why would I want to die? Because I ate a Dorito. See, there's all these things, but the doctor's like, look, eat the Hershey bar. And if you eat the Hershey bar, you'll be healed. That's exactly what happens. People say, I would never believe in a God who would send someone to hell. It's like, no, everybody is destined to hell. But if you and I eat the Hershey bar, which is believing in Jesus, who forgives us and heals us, then hell is averted. And so we always have to remember, God does not enjoy judging humanity. He has made the escape route for anybody who wants it, but we don't want it, and then we want to blame God. And that is called naivety. At the very least, maybe at the greatest, it's called willful rebellion and ignorance. So when someone says to you, I would never believe in a God who would send somebody to hell, be like, Seriously? Because you know what you say to them when they say that? You say, so you think Charles Manson should go to heaven? What about Adolf Hitler? He should go? Genghis Khan? Kind of want to hang out with him for eternity? You go down the list of all the most awful people you can think of. Oh, no, not them. So what's the difference between that? You know, it's not a logical position. Actually, I would say that if your God wouldn't send someone to hell, then he's not God. Because that God would let somebody who has hurt people Go free. It'd be like if somebody was arrested for murdering thousands of people. And the judge is like, well, I'm a loving judge. Just go free. Go ahead. Have at it. That would be complete injustice. Nobody would believe that that judge is a loving judge. He's putting everybody at risk because of that decision. See, for the children of Israel and for the Egyptians, the Egyptians were judged because of their own actions. And their actions were fueled by the God that they worshipped. And don't miss that. We become like what we worship. Everybody does. Whatever we worship, we will take on the characteristics of. Everybody is in the process of being conformed into whatever it is that they worship. And so we take on the characteristics of the God whom we serve. And this is why it is so important for us to believe and trust in the biblical God, who Jesus is. When we watch Jesus walking on the seas of Galilee and along the highways and byways of Israel, when we see him walking through the streets of Jerusalem, when we see Jesus hanging on a cross, that is how we learn who we ought to be. And as we walk with Jesus, we begin to take on more and more of his character. Characteristics. We find ourselves to be humble and meek like Jesus. We find ourselves to be loving and truthful like Jesus. But everybody is in the process of being changed into the likeness of that for which they worship. And everybody's a worshiper. Everybody's a worshiper. Everybody ascribes weightiness and value to something. When someone says, oh, I'm not religious, I'm like, you actually are. Religion is, that's who you worship. That's your religion. So some people, their religion is reality television shows. 
Their whole world revolves around it. They read every set of articles about that show and all this stuff. Some people's is sport. Some people's is politics. What I want to ask you is simply this. Whatever you worship, does it make you satisfied in your soul and joyful in your countenance? That's what you got to ask yourself. Whatever you worship, does it bring satisfaction to the depths of your soul and does it bring joy to your countenance? I'm here to tell you the only God who will do that is the true and living God of the Bible. But whatever your God is, you also receive the judgment of the God that you worship. It's the way it works and it was the way it was for the Egyptians. Now, as we move into verse 5, We start getting all of the journey. It says, Then the children of Israel moved from Ramses and camped at Sukkoth. They departed from Sukkoth and they camped at Etham, which is on the edge of the wilderness. They moved from Etham and turned back to Pihiroth, which is east of Baal Zephon, and they camped near Migdal. Verse 8, they departed from the Hahiroth and passed through the midst of the sea into the wilderness, went three days' journey into the wilderness of Etham and camped at Mara. They moved from Mara and came to Elam. At Elam were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. So they camped there and they moved from Elam and camped by the Red Sea. So you see what goes on in this kind of first set of wanderings. They're really moving from Egypt to what is called the Red Sea, probably more specifically, it would be the Sea of Reeds. So there's a lot of discussion as if it was actually really the Red Sea as we know it today, or if it's a different sea. So some of the different things. So, and we see all of these different places in the immediate chapters in the book of Exodus, from Exodus 12 until they end up at the Red Sea, which of course the Red Sea becomes parted. But all of these names should mean something in the desert of Etham. In Exodus 13, we find out it's the first mention of the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night that they traveled with. By the time we get to Mara, we find in verse 8, back in Exodus 15, that is where the bitter waters were cleansed by the Lord through the servant Moses. We get to Elam and all these different places, and the Red Sea is where they're encamped. And remember what happened when they're at the Red Sea. Remember The Pharaoh came to his senses and realized he had just let go this great group of people who was working slave labor for him, and he went out after them. And remember, the children of Israel had the Red Sea in front of them, and they had the Egyptian armies behind them. And they were freaking out. I mean, wouldn't you, in that situation? Even though God led them out, they're stuck. They're not between a rock and a hard place. They're between a pursuing army and a body of water. And Moses has a great idea. He says, stand and see the salvation of God. See, I love that about the things in the Bible because God's ways of deliverance is never the way we would want it, right? It's like, you always think about like the way God delivers his people and it's never logical, it never happens early and it always involves a step of faith. Isn't that how it goes? Like, I always think of the children of Israel. They go into the promised land. We'll get there in the book of Joshua, right? And the commander of the Lord's army comes and meet with Joshua. And Joshua's like, hey, are you for us or for our enemies? He's like, man, I'm the commander of the army. And Joshua's like, oh, sorry. 
And the commander of the Lord's army gives Joshua a plan. He's like, this is what you're going to do. Jericho is a great walled city. I want you to walk around it. Joshua's like, okay. I want you to walk around it every day for seven days. Joshua's like, okay. On the seventh day, I want you to walk around a bunch of times. And when you're done, I want you to yell and blow trumpets and all the walls are going to fall down. Joshua's like, okay. You imagine Joshua going back to all the captains of the armies? I got the plan. Okay, you ready? I got the plan. This is what we're going to do. We're going to walk around it. Okay. We're going to walk around every day for seven days. Okay. On the seventh day, we're going to walk around a lot of times. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then we're going to blow trumpets and we're going to yell and the walls are going to fall down. I would be like, oh no. Where's Moses when you need him? If this is the plan, we need to find a new leader. But you guys know the story because what happens? They blow the trumpets, they shout, what happens? All the walls fall down. Can you imagine the Jerichoites watching the, like, what are they doing? Walking around. They're doing a little hike around the city. And then they walk around a bunch of times like, wow, man, what is wrong with these people? And then all of a sudden the walls fall down. See, God's plan in human eyes is completely illogical. Even the salvation in Christ. I remember when I first was starting to read the Gospels, for the very first time, kind of a blank slate. And I'm like, okay, so God's plan to save humanity is to kill a guy. That makes great sense. Doesn't make any sense. We would think of a different way to do it. The foolishness of God is infinite wisdom. See, God's ways are so different from our ways. And I just love the fact that God delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt, and he puts them right into a pickle. Because God knows that the great deliverance of yesterday was not going to sustain them in the moment of temptation, in the moment of fear. And they started fearing, and then God did something amazing. And then they're like, wow, what the Lord has done. And they go a little further, and then they get faithless again. And then God does something amazing. And doesn't that sound like your life and my life? That God is doing these amazing things, and we forget. And then God does something else amazing, and we forget. We get worried, and we, I don't know how it's going to work out. And then God does something amazing. And this is why we write this stuff down. See, although the details change, people don't change. And if we forget how faithful God has been in the past, we will forget in the moment of trial how faithful the Lord is. Jesus is Today, Pastor Daniel recounted some of the Israelites' history, including the ways they saw God step in and rescue them. He shared that God's intervention rarely happens how we would choose. It's not logical or early, and it always involves a step of faith. You learned that reminding yourself of God's past faithfulness to you can help you learn to trust Him more and reassure you of His help in your present struggles. I want to thank you so much for listening to the Jesus is Real program. And I realize that there are many of you, you're not a born-again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I want to begin to follow Jesus. I want to help you do that right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. So if that's you, if you're saying yes to Jesus for the very first time, pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name. And we all said together, 
amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I want to know that you did it though, because I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED to 51400, S-A-V-E-D to 51400. And my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. Now, my team, we want to share some stuff with you, so don't go anywhere. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. You know, the Bible says that when one person comes to Jesus, the angels in heaven rejoice. And we rejoice with them today if you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Daniel. Again, to receive some resources that are going to help you in this new journey with Jesus, take out your mobile phone right now and text the word SAVED, S-A-V-E-D, to 51400. Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will continue to overview all God has brought the Israelites through. You'll revisit how they tired of God's miraculous provision of manna. They wanted something different, something more than the amazing gift the Lord had given them. Pastor Daniel will explore the reality that though they have a place in your walk with God, miracles aren't enough to sustain your faith. You've been listening to Jesus Is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series called Preparation. Until then, may God bless.